those of you listening at home, that was Alan Klein, accompanied by Vance's most talented music, director of music, Debbie Briding. 
Hear the words from Holy Scripture from the Gospel of John, starting at the 14th chapter in the first verse and beyond. You're probably familiar with this text because it comes up in funerals an awful lot. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know the Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. And then we turn today... This is a lectionary text. The next two texts we'll study will be the lectionary text. And then after that, we're turning purely to texts about the Lord's Supper. But this one from 1 Peter, and as I have been reminding you throughout, 1 Peter is a text, it's one of the newest books in the Newer Testament. And it was written at a time when the church was under great persecution. So there's lots of talk about suffering and being patients and endurance and how to endure suffering. And one of the suggestions that 1 Peter has in enduring suffering is to be a community. And it starts here. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him. A living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. Like like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, 
He is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Now get this. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. What a powerful thing to say, especially when we know that the context of this is that the author of 1 Peter is saying, you must be a people to stand together in the suffering that the church is about to endure. You must be God's people to come together in worship and praise. And not only must you be God's people, but God has formed you together as a people. This is what God wants for you. God does not want you to suffer alone like individual blocks on the floor. God wants you to be built together in a powerful, holy people. One of the reasons that we in this tradition baptize infants is because we believe that God has already claimed that child as one of God's people. We in our tradition believe not that we get saved, but that we are saved by what Christ has done for us. And in so, acknowledging Christ's acts, saving acts for us, we acknowledge we are part of God's people. And we acknowledge that we are part of God's people by coming here today and worshiping together, by watching and listening, by being engaged in the acts of worship and participating one with another in community. And we also be. We also become God's people by doing the hard work of community. Now, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have been shut up in your house for two months with your, and I'm putting quotes around this for those of you who can't see, with your loved ones. 
right? The hard work of community, sitting with your loved ones. One who likes to watch Hallmark movies in the den, and the other who likes to watch MSNBC in the living room, and the dog who goes back and forth between the two. <laughs> right? You, you are with your loved ones, and you have to negotiate how you live together. So it is when we are a community called the church. How do we live together? How do we love one another? How do we seek and enact forgiveness when need be? How are we bound together in Christ? All of that stuff is relational. All of that stuff is is hard. It's hard work. Anybody who has been married for more than 35 seconds knows it is hard work, particularly to be married to somebody, to be in relationship. And so when I think about us being God's people, and I think about those of you who are watching and listening I think to myself, with all due respect, thank you for watching and listening, but I think you're not a community. You don't do the hard work of being in relationship. You sit in your house. You don't have to struggle with Aunt Mabel who sits in the pew beside you and tells you every Sunday you're not dressed right. Or with Uncle, oh, Bob's here. I will use a different name. Uncle Dan, who sits over here and tells you every Sunday, you're not putting enough money in that collection plate. You don't have to deal with that at home. Congratulations on that, by the way. But you're not doing the hard work of community. So in my head, I think, or at least I have thought, that there really is no thing no such thing as virtual community. How can you be a community? How can you be God's people and not do the hard work that God requires? And some of you are mad right now. Keep with me. Don't give up yet. Because Some of you believe you are acting in community, albeit virtually. And some of you also know that I'm supposed to be talking today about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And you're saying, what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? Who cares about virtual community or any other kind? Well, understand something. Christians were never meant to. to do the work of Christianity alone. We are meant to be God's people. 
We are meant to live in community. We are meant to worship and understand God in community. We have two sacraments in the Reformed tradition, which we say were instituted by Jesus. One is baptism. The other is the Lord's Supper, which is the preferred Reformed term, sometimes called the Last Supper, sometimes called the Eucharist which, by the way, is a term that means thanksgiving. So when we talk about later, we're going to talk about, is this just a memorial meal? No, it's thanksgiving. But it's meant to be done in community. And so, as you know, my struggle with this all along, since we have been held up in our homes, has been how... If virtual community is not community and we are to live and do our sacraments in community, how can we have holy communion? Communion, which is the communion, the coming together with Christ's body and blood, but also the communion of believers in Christ. One of the things that is said at this table every time that sacrament is celebrated is all who believe in Jesus are welcome here. That's what we have in common. Now, two great theologians you're going to hear a lot about in the next month. One is John Calvin. John Calvin was a Swiss reformer. He was a lawyer, which is why, to this day, Presbyterians like lots of words and lots of documents and lots of rules, because he was one of our founders. He also, by the way, was a city planner, a politician, was very interested in civics, which is why we as Presbyterians still believe we should do that. And he was the first to offer free public education to all children. And the reason for that was because he believed children needed to learn how to read so that they could go home and read the scriptures to their parents. So Calvin won. And then the person who followed Calvin very closely was a man named Zwingli. Zwingli was an interesting guy. He was an organist by trade, and he was so appalled at the notion that people could worship music that he dismantled the organ in his church and did away with music. So we love you, but we don't worship you, just so you know, in Reformed tradition. <laughs> You okay with that? Good. (laughs) Um, Calvin and Zwingli believed thoroughly that, as we do, that the sacraments were covenant signs. Okay? Covenant is God's promise. But very seldom do God's promises in Scripture come to individual people. They almost always come to the people as a whole, to all of God's people, right? And the biggest covenant promise from God always is... I will be your God, and you will be my people. And covenant always has signs that seal it. In the Hebrew Bible, the signs were circumcision and the Passover. 
In the New Testament church, they were the sacraments. Covenant signs testify to God's self-giving to God's people and to God's people self-giving back to God. It's It's a communal thing. It's about the people. It's about the covenant with God. It's about what we do together. There is invariably somebody who always says something like this. Can't come to church this week, Pastor. Just drop me off some bread and that cup and that little shot glass, and I'll uh, I'll uh, slurp it down sometime during the week and have communion myself. You can't have communion apart from community. It's a communal celebration. It's part of a communal memory. Right? Passover happened to the whole Hebrew people, like the Last Supper happened to all of Jesus' disciples. In a thing that I wrote just recently, I said, You can't have communion alone at your kitchen table any more than you can baptize your child in your kitchen sink. And when I say baptize your child in your kitchen sink, you all look at me and go, yeah, we know that part's not right. Sacraments are by nature sacred. They're holy. There's something about them. Holy means set apart. There's something about them set apart from the ordinariness of life. And so I struggle with this question. If we must celebrate the sacraments in community as God's people bound together, and we want to do that as a virtual community, what makes a virtual Christian community Christian? For that matter, what makes a virtual community a community? Are we engaged together in common mission? Do we pray for each other? Do we study the scriptures together? Do we engage in the right administration of the sacraments with each other? Wait a minute. As I thought of this, I began to realize that because of our worship together, the answer is yes. Yes, we do pray for each other every Sunday when we come together here. Yes, we do study the scriptures together through the hearing of the word from this pulpit. Yes, we do engage in the right administration of sacraments. Yes, 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 we are a Christian community. Yes, virtual community is community. I finally got it. In the worship and music commission meeting the other night. 
and I'll tell you who, who convinced me. Sweet, little, mostly soft-spoken, Jerry Sloan. Now, I, I don't know how old Jerry Sloan is, and I would not dare to venture a guess, nor would I ever dare to ask. But she's not a teenager, and she's not somebody who I would think automatically would be comfortable with new technology. And yet, when we talked about the notion of communion and community and what happens in worship, even when you can't be here in the pew, she said, listen, I can't wait to get back into my church. But I am absolutely fully engaged every Sunday in what happens in this place, even if I'm not here. Some of you know my mom's friends. God love their souls get up on Sunday morning still, put their makeup on, fix their hair, go in. One of them even stands up and sits down in her living room when we tell her to here. Hi, Irene. Love you. That's a community of faith. We are God's people bound together in love. Through the Holy Spirit, the community that is formed here is God's doing. (laughs) Once we were not a people. We were scattered listeners and scattered watchers and scattered people. And now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the graceful promises of God, now we are a people. Thanks be to God.